Hello, and welcome to Angular Air, episode 46. This is our hello, and welcome to Angular Air 46. This is our predictions show, and I'm here today with Patrick Stapleton. Hi, guys. And Amy Knight. Hello. So the idea for this show is that we're going to just go through uh, a couple different topics and talk about what we think is going to happen in 2016 with Angular, with JavaScript, and with the other developer-related tools and languages that we work with. So uh, to get started, a, a lot of uh, this is related to Angular, but some of it will go off into some other areas as well. So. I think the one thing that probably a lot of people are thinking about in the Angular world is when is going to be the full release of Angular 2. You know, we're, we're going to go into the new year here in beta, and uh, how long is it going to stay in beta before we're able to actually have like a full release? So, Patrick, uh, for, going to you first, uh, what do you think it, it's is going to be that release date? So, the ideal scenario for everyone um, in the community it would be anti-conf and that is in May uh, for the release of Angular 2, um, that would just be the best thing in the world, timing-wise. Um, and that would be my, my guess, my prediction. OK. What about you, Amy? I'm going to predict the same time frame. I don't necessarily think they're going to wait till like, release it there. But. OK. Yeah, I, I think that uh, they're going to do their best to get it before ng-conf. I, I actually think. Uh, I think, Patrick, you're thinking it's going to be like the day before or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that they'll try to do it like a month or so before so that there's some time uh, and full release before the conference. But, yeah, I, I think we all uh, – the best scenario is to get it out before the conference so that a lot of the talks are just, about, okay, now let's start getting some real production apps built. Okay, let's get into some of the adoption stuff of, you know, as, as you're building on Angular 2 uh, and some of the new stuff, you know, how we see people are going to um, adopt certain things. So uh, first thing, uh, we've had a show on this before this earlier this year that Patrick, you and I were, uh, I think we were the only ones on. TypeScript or Babel, what, what is the community going to lean towards? Uh, and Amy, let me start with you. Uh, I definitely think TypeScript. I know for me, um, like I've done a lot more with Babel than TypeScript, but the more that I look at it, the more I think if you are doing Angular, it's obviously beneficial to be using TypeScript. I guess not, maybe even if you're not doing Angular, but definitely uh, TypeScript. Okay. What about you, Patrick? Obviously Dart. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, so remember like right now, the Babel has a, a huge like ambition for where the direction of where it should go, and that's like being extremely modular. So right now, Babel six is kind of crazy, but a year from now, I would say that they'll kind of dial all that down, and maybe even TypeScript will be a part of Babel as a plugin. In which case, we'll get the best of all worlds. But in terms of for Angular two development, um, it's it's no brainer that the TypeScript definitely. Like the way to go, it, it feels right at home whenever you're developing uh, with Angular 2. Okay, sounds good. Now, one of the great things in Angular 2 is that you can uh, use different types of bindings. Uh, you know, the basic plain JavaScript binding that everybody's used to, 
or you can use reactive bindings with RxJS observables or immutable.js and just uh, make everything immutable for additional performance and that type of thing. So where do we think that most people are going to be leaning as they start implementing this stuff? I mean, you can co sort of get, start to get a sense of this of how the early adopters are building a lot of their examples. Um, but what, what are your thoughts, Patrick, on this? So I think, like, it takes a lot of learning in the community to kind of adopt some of these, like, I would say, like, more advanced patterns that came out of other communities, um, and that is using, like, Immutable.js and RxJS, just because the context is different. Like, um, going from Angular 1 to Angular 2, the concepts are the same, but it's hard to kind of grasp all the, you know, mental overhead of everything that's new. The majority of everything that's new is just ES6 features and uh, types with TypeScript. So I think the trends for, for frameworks is that everyone relearns everything all over again. So I think that the same thing is going to happen, that everyone's going to um, start off with um, whatever that they know currently and then slowly migrate to the to these new... like Which would um, probably be just plain JavaScript objects, right? Not, right, by, right. not binding okay. to... Um, actually, like... RxJS is probably going to get the same amount of adoption uh, as Promises was with uh, with Angular, and that is like eventually the community will arrive at. You should definitely use this, but at the moment, it's more of like this is kind of cool. Not sure should I use it? Should I not use it? Uh, the community is still like kind of guessing whether or not they should. But um, in terms of like predicting like a year from now, um, because RxJS is so you know ingrained in Angular two. You know, everyone's going to be using it. Um, for Immutable.js, I would say for larger applications, definitely, just because you want that, you want to squeeze as much performance out of the framework as you possibly can. Um, yeah, that's just how I would see it. Okay. You have any additional thoughts, Amy? Yeah, well, not really additional. I agree with Patrick. I think that um, RxJS or uh, RxJS will be super popular, especially by the end of the year. I feel like um, once people kind of get the grasp of Angular 2, they're going to be reaching for like something new to play with, and that is something that um, kind of makes Angular 2 a little bit more exciting to play around with. So I think people will definitely be interested in that. One thing, actually, I'm curious your guys' opinions on uh, sort of variation of, of this question. You know, I, I was listening actually to Amy to um, the more rec recent episode of uh, JavaScript Jabber talking um, with the PureScript guys. And, you know, I was thinking about in, in PureScript, you know, their whole philosophy is on reducing things down so that it's just like very simple, like you don't have to have all these different variations. It actually, um, Elm is even more so, like that, you know, you just do things this way. Whereas with Angular 2, it's like a different philosophy. It's like, you know, you can do build in different approaches. You can use a reactive approach, or you can use this mutable approach. Um, do you think that will help or hurt uh, the adoption as people start building this? Because sometimes when you give too much choice, people are like, uh, it's like analysis paralysis, right? Um, like, Amy, what do, what do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely do think it's going to hurt. I think like kind of what we're seeing is the JavaScript community. I know we talked about this article. I think I sent you the article, Jeff, uh, earlier in the week, but some article about classes and how the community is kind of going in two different directions. 
Yeah, and, th and that's another good example of like whether you use classes or not. Yep. Yeah, so I think, uh, unfortunately, I do think that it is going to like slow adoption because there's going to be a lot of different people doing a lot of different things, and um, I know probably for like larger organizations, they probably don't have as much time to experiment and play around with things, so they need like a proven strategy to move forward with. So. Yep. Patrick, what do you think? I think that, um, well, for me, like, Angular 2 is pretty much everything that is Angular 1. That is conceptually the same. And that is also meaning that, like, the architectural decisions for Angular 2 is it's up to you, the developer. Like, they have a suggestion, and that's the way the browser uses it if events and everything. But everything else is technically you could poke and prod, move things around as much as you want. And in my opinion, that was kind of one of the, the benefits of Angular 1 is that because it had a very, like, light opinion on how you should organize your app, it was up to you to kind of figure out, like, and create your own pattern. So I think the exact same thing will happen um, in Angular 2 is that the community will slowly, like, adopt different patterns as they start experimenting more with RxJS. And we will arrive at a point where um, the community will eventually have this pattern with RxJS that they will say that this is the de facto like, architecture you should use. Yeah, it'll be interesting, though, to see how long that takes. Yeah. Um, you know, the hope is that that'll actually occur pretty quickly because I, I agree with you what you're saying, Amy, that until that happens, it's just going to be like a little bit of like fumbling around of like, you know, people are like, okay, what should I use? But I think once you hit on that sweet spot and like it's pretty much clear cut throughout the community that like, okay, this is the way for most people that you should build your apps. You know, obviously, like you were talking about, Patrick, with certain like larger apps or certain things, you might do things slightly different. But I think things like using TypeScript, using um, you know, classes for certain certain things. Uh, may there might be a list of other things, but whatever it is, uh, creating this idiomatic way of building uh, Angular two apps. Uh, hopefully, we arrive at that sooner than later. Okay. Uh, so for module bundling, this is another area where there's like a lot of in the survey that you know Patrick, you and I put out earlier this year, uh, you know, Webpack was sort of in the lead, but um, using just SystemJS or, and or JSPM uh, was kind of close behind that, and a lot of people still use Browserify. So do you think that, uh, Patrick, it, it, Webpack's basically going to dominate once people start uh, using it, uh, Angular 2 in this new world of JavaScript, or do you think it'll just be a mixed bag? Um, well, we all know JavaScript is choose your own adventure. Um, I would say, like, the majority of people would choose Webpack just because it's it's a build framework, and that means that it assumes a certain opinion on your, your workflow, and because of that, it, it assumes you're working on application development, in which case it allows you to, you know, focus more on the application, how you architect it, how you manage its assets um, as modules as opposed to, like, you could do anything you want. I'm just a bundler, but you could also treat Webpack as just a bundler as well. Um, so I think like if the if Webpack was more demystified, then that would help the adoption of Webpack. Actually, one thing to add to that. Uh, so I think you're right, Patrick. But I think I saw, and you'd probably know more about this, that they were going to add in TypeScript 
uh, some module bu bundling features as well. So maybe that for certain um, scenarios, you wouldn't even need Webpack. You'd just be able to use the TypeScript. Uh, did, did you, were you keyed into that at all? I heard a little bit about that, but I don't, I don't uh, know too much about it. But yeah. also remember with, with application development and how these communities work is that uh, the community learns how to make a, a small application that's like tutorials. Then so eventually, like they arrive on better patterns as uh, more people start making larger applications, and you see a progression of like smaller examples to like medium size, which is majority of people, then large uh, size, which is you know larger companies. And then there's like enterprise where you have literally multiple teams working on little sections of the page, and that's more like it's going to be. Like I said, like it's it's going to be really interesting, and um, I think like this just demystifying Webpack would help that uh, push. But I, I think Webpack's going to pull out in the end, um, just because like Webpack 2.0 is going to be released, assuming next year. In which case, that solves all the problems of Webpack, and then at that point, it's like, why even bother? But what what problems are you referring to? Maybe I'm not aware. So, like, some of the problems with some of the, the reasons why some people would choose something like uh, System.js over a web package is the standards, right? And standards for ES6. Now, it's also worth noting that um, the ES6, like, uh, module standard, not the, not the syntax, the standard is actually dropped, which kind of kills some of the momentum of why you would choose System.js over something like Webpack. But with Webpack 2.0, it's actually focusing more on, on the standards. on uh, ES6. The standards that aren't standards, you're saying? Well, like, sorry, like ES6 syntax. So right now, clearly, it's, it's focused on CommonJS and require statements hmm. uh, just because it was built you know, back when that was the thing. Um, but now it's going to switch to ES6, ES6 syntax with uh, import statements as opposed to require statements and the default uh, syntax. Okay. okay. In, in actually, actually, sorry. 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 You guys, you guys getting an echo right now? Okay. There we go. Um, so one thing that you said, Patrick, actually as well, the, the whole thing of um, the community kind of it generally starts with these smaller apps, and and you were talking in the context of Webpack, but actually you got me thinking about one other prediction. I'd be here, interested in hearing, like Amy, your opinion on in particular. You know that when new people are coming in to learn. Angular, one of the, the biggest strengths of Angular 1 was how easy it was to learn. Like, you, you know, you just get started, and uh, that's what everybody said. It's just like magic, right? And, and I think that was a big part of the popu initial popularity of Angular 1. Uh, is the additional complexity of ES6, you know, all this other stuff, uh, how is it, do you think it's going to affect uh, that adoption? Uh, yeah, it's twofold. So the fact that you can easily get up and running with stuff, um, like we have all these seed projects and that sort of thing, uh, you know, it's easy for people to get this like fast feedback cycle and like get excited about it. But then you reach a point where there are so many tools involved to get to that point that you start slowing down and you lose that steam because you're like, where in the world do I start? So. Yeah, the more tools we have, um, 
you know, the slower it's going to be for people to actually start making meaningful contributions as opposed to, you know, just building up these, like, little to-do apps really quickly without really understanding how they're getting put together. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think that most people that have gone through the learning process with uh, so far uh, with Angular 2 have, uh, I think the common consensus is that the framework itself is much easier to learn and simpler, but it's harder overall because of all these other things. Um, what, what do you think, Patrick? What, what, what's going to happen here in 2016 as far as learning? So um, I would say that 2016 is the year that everyone switches to ES6, in which case everyone's going to have to learn more about the build system. And I would also say that it's finally the time for the JavaScript community to actually mature and kind of grow up in that sense of not just being client, but being like a full like uh, build tool system and actually building web applications as opposed to just like uh, static websites per se. Um, and that's kind of like what everyone's trying to push because everyone wants these you know, like ESX syntax just because like it improves so much, especially just the modules itself. Uh, having modules itself is like that's the number one problem in, in JavaScript, um, and that's pretty much how I would I would see it. Is that um, after because like if you actually and I've been experimenting this with uh, teaching Angular two is if you actually if the person knows ES6 and TypeScript or just just ES6, like the introduction. And exceptional like understanding of Angular 2 is like nothing. It's like it's so easy after that. Like that's the only barrier to entry uh, for Angular 2 is just the conceptual dependencies. Then everything else makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Okay. I, I was gonna add to you, like I still think it's really valuable. People might scoff at this, but to build just a plain old website with just bare-bones tools so that when you do go to use all these tools, you have a better understanding of what they're doing for you. So um, I make a lot of comparisons between, like, Angular and Rails because kind of very similar in the community. Like, you can get an app up and running really quickly, but a lot of times you really have to take your time once you do that to step back and see how everything's getting put together. Yeah, like you're saying, I, I think that is a big problem with the starter projects, right? Like, there's so much stuff kind of baked into there that some people like. I actually like looking through them. Like um, Patrick, the, the Webpack one that you put out, like I, I really enjoyed like looking through it and understanding like each line and kind of playing with it. But I think most people just kind of like run it and then eh, I don't know how this works, but it's just part of the thing. Yes. So what's happening is that again, like because everyone relearns everything. Like, what we're running into is the exact same phenomena as, as Ruby on Rails. Like, everyone's going to be like, okay, this is a, a framework that does everything in the world. I only need to know about this part of what's happening, and then the whole rest of the folder structure I'm just going to ignore. Um, what's missing from that piece that is really, like, I would say, like, hindering more people from following into that development cycle, it's uh, a lot of people explaining, like, demystifying a little bit of, of why those folders and why everything should be placed a certain way. Uh, that is that is something that the Rails community has been doing for a long time and saying like, here's a everything's generated now. This is for that. This is for that. You don't have to worry about this. I don't even know what that is. 
And like that alone like helps people like understand like okay if I just you know work inside of this box and then don't touch you know don't hit any of the the walls and I'm I'm good. Um, I think like with the adoption of these new build systems and uh, because of ESX like uh, that's just a, something that community has to uh, do is um, a lot of education uh, that way. But I guess another prediction really is like. Will ESX be in the browsers in a year from now? Like, because it's it's mm. 2015, right? Like that's already over. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. So, um, for one year from now, I would think that the browsers are all one year behind, and that's probably optimistic because that's saying like at the end of of 2016, ES 2015 will be implemented in the browsers. And then there's a one-year lag for each one. And then there's ES2017, which would be, you know, adopted in the browser later. I think one other thing to to, to keep in mind, um, you know, like we do these podcasts. We kind of have, like, our community that we talk to a lot. But, and they're the ones that are answering these surveys and stuff. So, of course, they're plugged in. Um, you know, they're doing a lot outside of their jobs and such, but then you have a, a huge section of the community who is still really trying to get started with Angular 1. They're still trying to grasp Angular 1. Um, they're not, you know, a part of this community, so they don't respond to those surveys. So that's another thing, like, we have to think about slow adoption because not everyone, um, you know, gets to do this 24-7 like a lot of us. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up, Amy. I, I love how Joe Eames, uh, when I was talking to him over uh, at the during the GD summit, he described it as these. Uh, I think you mentioned dark mass developers that just like this. You know, you don't see them. There are just tons of them out there because they aren't actively involved in Twitter or anything like that. And there's a lot of them. Uh, they just do Angular for their jobs, and they don't even they might not even be aware that there is an Angular two. Uh, so uh, that definitely happens. Uh, a lot, I think. So that, that's a good transition to uh, one of our last couple of questions here as we wind down. Um, so let's say, for example, just before ng-conf that it's in full release. What do you guys predict is going to happen uh, you know, that, as far as there are a number of different strategies that people can take uh, for Angular 2. You know, you can use this ng-upgrade thing to have, uh, you know, start to have pieces of your app you know, migrated slowly. You could do like just a big bang approach. You could do nothing, which I, I think a lot of people may end up doing. Just kind of sit on the sidelines and kind of wait it out. Patrick, what do you think is going to happen um, as far as that goes? I I always advocate the big bang approach, just especially for for this transition. The transition afterwards would be so much so much simpler. But right now, I I always suggest the, the big bang approach for most projects. And that is saying that um, because it's a framework, you could think of it as literally the car, and there's a car frame that actually holds all the pieces together. So if the framework is just the frame of the car, and all the pieces together is just like your modules and your logic and everything, then what you're doing is you just have a new frame, and then you just slowly like move pieces over to the new frame. And that's probably going to be the best migration for like Ionic developers for Ionic 1 and 2, even though like uh, the directives are almost extremely similar because of the HTML syntax, um, but um, for 
I would. That's just my suggestion of what I would like. Well, you, you say Big Bang, but do you actually mean like think from what you're saying something that I think we've talked about before? Where okay, you have this like let's say this huge app that you built in Angular One. Um, you may be able to pick pieces out of it and build a separate app, right? Like, and they could maybe they don't. It's not the same thing as ng upgrade where there are two apps like. Uh, working side by side, but if, if you can build a new thing, like basically all your new development in uh, Angular 2, uh, I think that helps. Uh, but I agree that like trying to do both at the same time, I, I, I wonder how, whether the effort for that is going to be worth it, basically. What, no. what do you think, Amy? Oh, sorry, Patrick, what did you say? Yeah, it's so the, the effort of, of something like that, it's worth it for large applications just because you can't get away from it. You can't like, you, you have to keep shipping, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the only way uh, to move forward. And um, for, for that, I would say, like, that makes sense for, for larger applications. But, um, yeah. Okay. What, what do you think, Amy? I actually think for larger applications, it still will be big, big bang, especially, I guess it will depend on how up-to-date you've been keeping your application like, this whole component pattern really didn't become terribly popular until a little while ago, so a lot of apps are not on that. Um, I also feel like, just from talking to a lot of people, there's still a lot of people in the community who are slowly migrating their code to ES6. There's still, unfortunately, a lot of people in the community who are using dollar scope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like adding one more kind of, I'll call it, like, layer of noise because it's another, like, kind of semi-context you have to switch into. Like, you're already having to switch context. You see dollar scope. Um, you're having to switch context. Like, what is this, like, constructor thing in my controller? But in others, I have controller as. Why do I even have controller, whereas some people don't? Um, I think just, like, adding one more thing. So I think a lot of people are just going to be rewriting. Yeah, so... Um... That's why, like, I, I think, like, my, like, the framework um, Big Bang approach is uh, kind of interesting because um, if you have a lot of legacy code that are using a lot of older patterns, like, that would kind of make sense. But if you're using, like, the component-driven approach, then you could take the, actually the optimum migration path, and that's a migration path moving forward after Angular 2. And that is saying that everything inside of this component is a black box, so um, anything inside of it could be implemented in Angular 2 or Angular 1, and that is where ng-upgrade ties in very well um, with the the migration path going forward, because you could say, like, um, everything on this page is Angular 1 except the sidebar. Sidebar is Angular 2, and um, you interact through ng-upgrade or some other mechanism which you can use as well, um, and then slowly you know, migrate forward from there. Um, but, yeah, if you if you are already doing the component approach, then that migration path is a lot easier. But um, if you are not, then I would say Big Bang is worth it unless you can't, you really can't, unless the application is so huge that uh, it's really hard to move forward. Okay. All right, last question. Most important question. No, no, no. But... Uh, at the, end of, at the end of 2016, what do you guys think will be the most popular front-end framework? Patrick. Um, so I've been looking into this framework called 
uh, Vanilla JS. Pretty, pretty legit. It has kind of everything that you would want and more. Um, and I would say that it's kind of like all the frameworks combined. Uh, it's pretty, pretty legit. So I think at the end of 2016, everyone would be using uh, Vanilla JS, which actually I think is a dependency on Angular 2. So if that has something to say, then I think you know the the adoption of Angular 2 will go a lot you know faster with the, that dependency. Uh, vanilla has a dependency on Angular 2. You're saying? Oh no, depend. Uh, oh, I guess the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, Amy, what do you think? Uh, I actually think that things are going to kind of even out a little bit. Um, I don't see like React pulling much further ahead than maybe. People think it already is. I don't see Angular 2 pulling ahead much further than Angular 1 already is. Um, yeah, I actually my prediction is not a ton is going to change there. I think you'll hear more about Vue.js, um, but I think that will be more of a competitor to React than to Angular. Yeah, it's funny you bring this up, Amy, because it sort of ties into what my prediction is going to be, which is that, um, you know, I, I think that the adoption of for new people like basically when you're on a new project it's one thing if you're talking about existing projects because there's a lot of like legacy stuff out there so like from that standpoint I mean there's just a ton of angular apps right um, but I think the more interesting thing is for people uh, either new developers coming in or, or new projects being built and uh, I do think that you know react will continue to grow um, but I think it is being slowed by these other frameworks that are somewhat similar, but like you, you start to see these sort of um, like breaking off of different like subgroups uh, where like the people that were super duper into React, some people are now into Elm, into like these other things. And I think that's going to start to chew away at it a little bit. And I don't think that Angular 2 is going to take off this next year. I, I think what's going to happen is, I mean, especially because it's not going to be till the middle of the year that it's in fully release. Uh, I think a majority of people are going to sit on the sidelines for basically all of 2016. Like when we talk about like not the people like we were talking about Amy that are into the podcast and like everything like that. Those people are probably going to be on top of it and trying things out and you should uh, as much as possible. Uh, but I have a feeling that 2016 is just going to be the year of sort of uh, evening out, getting up, yeah, getting more people into ES6 and vanilla JS and kind of uh, leveling the playing field. 2017, I think, uh, is when you know Angular will really take off. I mean, who knows what's going to happen by then? Happen by then, but I, I think just uh, by that point, a lot of things will be baked. There'll be a lot of people with production apps uh, with Angular 2. The people, all the uh, people, legacy people that have been working on Angular 1 will start to upgrade. Uh, I think 2017 is going to be uh, the bigger year for the, the larger majority of people. But uh, Patrick, what, what were you going to say? Yeah, so also remember that React is a, is a rendering framework. Like, a lot of people say that it's Yeah, a, well, I, I think most people, when they say React, they actually mean yeah. React plus, like, the stuff that normally yeah. goes with it. But. Yeah. And that's... So there's a distinction between background, which is library, React, which is uh, a rendering framework, and Angular, which is a web framework. And um, what's also interesting to, to take note is that, like, where has like a framework of any kind has been so hyped up that people are making a ton of content and a ton of stuff and so much hype before it's even launched? Like the last one was was famous and 
Well, I mean, that's that's a bad comparison. Well, don't, don't say that. What are you doing? That's terrible. Yeah, so, but like, but like with famous, you couldn't even. It wasn't even like no one could play with it. But um, like, if you look at a Google Google Trends and you actually add like React React Native versus like Angular two, and um, you will see that it's actually like as popular as React was at the beginning of this year, 2015. And that's again, it's not even out yet. Like, what's what's going on here? Why is everyone like talking about this framework that's not even out? Like, that alone is like uh, crazy. Because um, what's also interesting is that a lot of people are going to check out Angular 2 from other communities just because everyone knows about Angular. And what is that? It's going to be pretty awesome, in my opinion. Amy? Yeah, one other thing I was going to add, too, that I think um, whichever framework is going to allow this will probably push ahead. But, you know, for a lot of teams, we have, like, you know, a bunch of APIs, but we have one UI that's talking to all these different APIs. So, like, I predict people are going to be looking at ways of pulling apart their UI into pieces so they can, like, deploy sections of their UI one at a time, similar to, like, how we do our backends. Yeah, yeah, that would actually be pretty awesome. Okay, uh, we're getting near the end of our time. Um, do you guys have any other random predictions that you're thinking about that we didn't cover? Um, did we go over IDEs? We didn't. I mean, there's a couple of interesting ones that uh, IDEs, the mobile thing is kind of interesting, like which mobile framework's going to... I was, I was a huge fan of text editor on Windows. You know, oh, jeez, for editors. You want it, because remember, Douglas Crawford talked about how, like, syntax highlighting was for kids, and to be a real adult, <laughs> you can't, you don't need syntax highlighting. So, you know, I'm just going to follow him. Well, Douglas Crawford is a real man. Yeah, so I don't even, I don't need autocompletion or indentation. <laughs> I'm just going to go hardcore text editor on Windows. I'm going to install a Windows VM and then just, like, Yellow it out. Um, well, yeah. you might. Why don't you just code on punch cards? Why even like a typewriter right? or like a keyboard? Yeah. Punch cards. That's that's so. That's hipster. That's hipster. <laughs> right there. I don't want to grow up if that's the that's what you have to do when you're growing up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh jeez. All right, guys. Let's go to the picks. Um, Amy, do you have any picks to start off? Yeah, I did have one really quick. So similar to what we're talking about, kind of trends, um, I saw this posted earlier today, but it is just uh, the general JavaScript community and trends over uh, where we're at right now. So it's at uh, ponyfoo.com, and I will add a link for that. That's my pick. Great. Thanks. Patrick? Mine would be NGNO in Amsterdam. It's an uh, Angular conference in 2016. And um, Angular class will be doing the the training there. Uh, I'll be you know flying out there to do uh, the workshop. All right, that's cool. Yeah, we're actually gonna uh, do a show from uh, NGNL that uh, you will be hosting yeah, along, along with Carmen. What's that? Oh, I will be present at that that episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I got a couple picks. Uh, Christmas, love Christmas. One thing I would say, if you don't have kids, once you have kids. Uh, your Christmas experience is like night and day from your experience without kids. 
uh, it is crazy how excited they get, and like they get you excited because they're so amped up. It's it's uh, nuts. Uh, New Year's also great, uh, so that's another pick. Um, one thing I, I wanted to uh, I, I'll put I'll put a link to that I was looking at the other day that was interesting is that last year or the beginning of this year. I uh, published a blog post with my predictions for 2015, and uh, actually they are amazingly accurate. Like I, I, I didn't even think about it all year, um, but seriously, like I think I, I it was like 90% uh, right you know, as far as you know different trends and other things. So I, I'll put a link to that, and I'll, I'll have to do another one of these. Um, in January as well. Yeah, so your pick is the past. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. your pick is the future. It's the future past. <laughs> the past future. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Definitely. Thanks. All right. Great. Um, definitely join us uh, next week. We're going to have an awesome show talking about how to be a contributor uh, in open source for those people that want to kind of get into open source um, but aren't quite uh, from sure how with uh, Wesley Cho and Jesus Rodriguez, who are big contributors on Angular UI, UI Bootstrap, and the new NG Bootstrap um, library. So I'm really excited to talk to them about that. Uh, have a great holidays, and we will see you guys soon. Bye. Yeah.